Welcome to the intersection of Black culture and horticulture with your girl, Cola B. Talking. And guess what, y'all? We black in the garden. You have arrived at the intersection of Black culture and horticulture with your girl, Cola B. Talking, hostess with the mostest of Black in the Garden. Previously on Black in the Garden. I was still in New Jersey composting, got all my compost, dug probably a cylinder can, a big one, maybe like a garbage can, stuck a bunch of holes in it, put it in the ground. Worms could crawl through it, put all my food scraps, all the family food scraps. Family's a huge thing. My dad's a gardener. I yeah. garden. My mom picked it up. Festivals in the backyard. Holidays, we garden together. It's, it's really, uh, it's a thing. That- What's good, Soil Cousins? How are y'all? I hope that y'all are well. If you're not well, I hope that you have the tools or the access to the tools or just whatever it is that you need to do to get well, to feel better if you're not feeling your best. If you're listening to this, you probably were like, hmm, that's a vibe. I want to get on that. If you weren't feeling good, then perhaps this might be therapy for you. I don't know. Like it makes me feel kind of weird to even consider that that's what it is. We're of course on season two of Black in the Garden and I'm my goal is to make this the shortest intro ever. We're just doing things all different kind of ways, but we're figuring this out because, hey, this is literally my first voyage into podcasting and I'm having a great time. I think that it's going mostly well. Uh, so many things that are being developed and considered and configured, and I'm very excited about what is to come. Uh, interestingly enough, I was thinking about it before I started recording just now, and I'm trying to preserve my voice because I got really hoarse y'all from going to that opening. I just had to sip, uh, my water right there while we keep it going. But yes, I, I contributed yeah, I feel like I feel like the little mermaid. <laughs> How she gave up her voice for we're not going to get into that. But I am very happy that that happened and I would not take it back. I am very proud of Barry Green, the owner of Shades of Moss out in Charlotte, North Carolina. Don't know why I almost tripped over the word Charlotte. Charlotte, I know how to talk. Charlotte, North Carolina is where the the plant shop is and all my Charlotte soil cousins, if you haven't been yet, you still have time. It's it's a shop. It's a whole shop. So there's plants and stuff. There's it's lit. Make sure that you go and follow them. But while we're talking about plant shops, I need you to look into the show notes, okay? I need you to get into the show notes. I need you to follow the guests that we are about to get into this interview with, Monet the plant mom of Amsterdam or you find her on Instagram at plant mom Amsterdam, all of the, everything you need to keep up, get in touch. It's all in the show notes, but I definitely want to encourage you to contribute to the fundraising efforts that are going on in order to make Monet the first black woman owned plant shop in Amsterdam. That felt like a lot to get it out, but really it's going to take a lot to make it happen and capital being one of those things. So let's make sure that we are supportive in that. All right. Fundraising is happening. It's going down. Part two is going to be really interesting. We'll get into that next week. We actually added a couple voices to that. We added Mariah and Bree who are also plants entrepreneurs. That's the word. Yeah, that's the word. You know, we have like a whole language over here. It's like we got soil cousins, we got botanical brothers, soil sisters, entrepreneurship, all that other kind of stuff. But it's real. It's like, that's just how I roll. I need my own language because perhaps whatever the language already was, it just wasn't descriptive enough for what I'm trying to say. Having said all that, this is 
an interview that I've been looking forward to. And so I'm very glad that you finally get to hear it. And we're going to get right into it. That's it. Before we go any further, I want to take a moment to talk about Black business. And you know, it's come to my attention that many of my listeners are first time podcast listeners, which is really dope. So let's just take a few seconds to make sure we understand how we can support podcasts. This one in particular gives you an opportunity to also support Black business, such as my fave, Coco and Seed, which is a wonderful Black business owned by a fantastic Black woman. I can vouch for her myself. She's dope. All right. And what she has for you on today are a few things. You can get some mugs that you can get customized. Yes, that means you can put your name on it. Okay, you could even put your boo name on it or your Monstera boo. Just just a hint, just, you know, just some inspiration for you. You can get a rose gold propagation station to get your, your plants going. You know, you want to multiply. You want to get more plants. Obviously, you need a propagation station. It's beautiful. Wait till you see the website. How are you going to get to the website? Through the affiliate link. That is the most important thing. That's how you support the Black business and the podcast. You see how it comes together? So this is what you'll do. The link is in the show notes. Or if you want to write this down, Linktree, spelled L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash Black in the Garden. And that is how you get to the website so that you can save 10% on your purchase at Cocoa and Seed because you're definitely going to be particularly interested. If you're anything like me, you'll be particularly interested in getting yourself an a self-watering hydroponic planter kit so that you can get your microgreens or your herbs popping. Listen, it's up to you, but make sure you use the affiliate link so that you can support Black in the Garden, support Cocoa and Seed, Get 10% off. You just did a thing. You should feel excited. Hey, shout out to Coco and Seed, our fantastic affiliate and black excellence. Definitely check for those details in the show notes for how you can get you some and support the show. And now we're going to get into our interview with Plant Mom Amsterdam, Monet McCullough. All right, everyone, today on this very special international episode of Black in the Garden, I am talking to Monet McCullough, who I'm pretty sure everybody knows as Plant Mom Amsterdam. Welcome to Black in the Garden. Hello, hello. <laughs> we podcasting, girl. You better talk to me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was like, is she going to say something else? I don't know. But hi, I'm Monet. Hi. Um, and I am so excited to be here. Um, and yeah, and this conversation is about to be super dope. So yeah, it is. I, there's so many things that I want to ask just starting out. How do you describe yourself? Because I could say, you know, you're doing workshops and you're just this purveyor of Black girl magic in general. But I'm going to let you give us your version of what we should know about you as far as how you define yourself? Ooh, I don't think I've ever been asked this question. Um, You're welcome. You, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's really hard. I, I wouldn't say that I am, like, maybe I'm still defining who I am. Like, I think, you know, my business has only been around for two years or just under two years, a year and a half. Um, so I am still defining who I am, but um, in short, I am a horticulturalist from New York City. Um, I am passionate about plants um, and I wanted to do something that I was passionate about my, my life, my, excuse me, in my life um, and, and make that a career. And so the past seven years of me loving plants, being active in plants, um, and, and being a professional in plants has led me up to this moment to, uh, kind of be like, you know what, I'm just going to say a plant revolutionary. (laughs) Okay. See, I didn't even... I didn't yeah, even I, see that I, I did it. You know what? I was like talking. I'm like, let me just say it. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a plant revolutionary. Um, I need to. 
in, in, oh, in yeah. saying that, like, um, the way that I approach this, what I do it for, and who I do it for, um, while using these opportunities that have been given to me um, to provide access and, and of care, um, as well as di diversification of the plant community, the horticulture community. Um, and yeah, I just, I wanna look to my left and my right, and I wanna go to these conventions, I wanna, I wanna I want to, you know, share this uh, not only with the world in the most simple way, but I also really uh, want to make sure that other Black people know that they, you can create your own space in something um, that already has existed, um, and and do it yeah. and do it well. You are you are doing all of those things that you said that you was going to do. So nobody can say that you capping out here. <laughs> no cap. No cap. I be trying to throw in a little bit of slang so I don't sound ancient, but you know what I'm saying? Still auntie, hashtag auntie gang. Oh my God. So, wow. There's, there's so many more, so much more to unpack. Of course, we are going to dive specifically into plant revolutionary it, momentarily. I want to start from the beginning with you being from New York, which may be news to some. So let's start with your, your, your Monet journey. Like you slid out your mom's womb and like <laughs> fill in a few blanks for us. Okay. So I already said, yeah, I'm, I'm from New York. I'm born and yeah. raised in Queens, Queens, New York, South Side, Jamaica. Um, boom. Yeah. Boom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I've always been a creative um, even for when I was young, I always wanted to create, I always loved to create things. Um, and I feel like my journey has been more of a creative one. So always being able to have the opportunity, I will say that I had a lot of opportunities. Um, I did grow up in a marginalized community. However, I did have, um, amazing opportunities because of the sacrifices that my parents made. Um, and I'm so grateful for them. And that gave me the I hate to say opportunity again, but many opportunities to uh, be in nature at a, a younger age, um, be in diverse groups. My mom put me in Asian camp, okay? Um, she did. She did, girl. Um, me and my sister were the only two Black people in, in, in Koreatown. Um, Yo. <laughs> um, you know, and when I was younger, I went to summer camp every summer uh, since I was seven years old. Um, mm -hmm. And I was always out and I was camping. And I actually, you know what? I didn't like it much. I'm a city okay. girl. I love being in the city. Um, and for me, I was just like, it's just something that I had to do. I didn't appreciate it while I was there. Um, it was just something that had always been around me. Like, okay, in summer, I'm going to go out to the sticks in New York or Pennsylvania or Vermont or wherever I was going. And that's mm -hmm. just what I had to do. And that's how I had to um, survive, essentially survive my summers. Um, so yeah. I did a, um, uh, an exchange called Friendly Town uh, with the Fresh Air Fund. Fresh Air Fund, if you don't know about it, learn about it. Um, and this uh, actually gave me the opportunities to be in like really rural places very white places but very rural yeah. um there was one point where um i was in this exchange so what what pretty much would happen um inner city kids like me um would stay at a family's house in in different parts of the east coast um and they normally had kids and and uh, we would do like all types of stuff i would i was farming i worked on a horse farm i've, I've picked strawberries i've grown things i i literally uh um lived on a farm um and all of this stuff was just so normal uh but i wow. never really i would never say that i had like that that click you know like this is what i want to do this is how i want to do it um, it wasn't until I got into college, uh, I went to school in New York as well, in Manhattan, um, that I just started to put everything that I loved about nature and things, uh, flowers specifically, um, and I put that into my schooling and everything that I did. So all my mm. creative projects, um, I went to school for visual merchandising and store design. Um, so pretty much the fashion industry. Um, mm. The selling of clothes through windows, through stores, through uh, design layouts, the psychology of shopping. Um, psychology. I love that. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a very specific um, 
major, but it's very important. Brands need that. Um, they do. <laughs> so, um, so in that, I was like, yeah, I was putting all the plants and the flowers in my stores and all the things that I was building always had to do something with nature. Um, and it wasn't mm. until I became a florist, um, I had the opportunity to become a florist. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so dope. Um, I got to slow you down because you are like, when I was like, so tell me how you got started and all. You was just like, boom, 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 boom. You told me to start from the beginning. So I started from the beginning. <laughs> you started from the beginning, but like, let me, let me guide you. Let, we going to go through the, the, the journey together. This is dope though. Don't get me wrong. Of course we want to know all of this information. Thinking, okay. She want to know every single point to, to right here in this moment. So let me just go for it. Not no, we not no. I'm not gonna put that much pressure on you to have you just tell the whole thing. We gonna go through the whole the whole journey together. Okay, right. so this is amazing. This let's go back to the summer camps. It's all good. No, it's all good. Of course, the summer camps. You were doing all of this. You were having all these experiences in these rural spaces and and going to the aging camp. I'm imagining all this is happening before what the age of twelve. Yes. Right. So you had this exposure and let's just talk a little bit about your parents. Were your parents immigrants? We spoke a pre you when a what pre-interview. Let me get my words together. And so I'm just trying to paint a picture as to, you know, your parents and what was their motivation to make sure that you had that exposure. That's very important later on down the line. So yeah. tell us a little bit about your parents. Um so my mom is um an, an intellectual I hate to say that because we're all actually intellectual but um True. my mom is someone who has always wanted her children to have the best opportunities um Amen. even if we didn't understand it at the time um she always pushed she was always you know she's she's the one to uh, do the research and find these places and you know she would coordinate she would if it, if it takes networking or speaking to yes. this person interviewing with this person put my child here you know put us here you know my sister my sister went to boarding school um goes yeah. to like summer camp boarding school um and she didn't care that you know my sister was the only black person there she wanted to make sure that she did everything in her power that to to put us there um so that's just how my, my mom is my family is um, my dad is just like the supporter, was the supporter, he passed away, um, and, and, and always like, you know, driving us to schools and picking us up from, from here and drop, dropping us off here and just making sure we got there, really, that was, that was his role, um, yeah. and you know, my mom was the one, she was like showing up, like, no, this is where I want you to go, you don't understand it, but you will one day, um, and that's That's just, important. Yeah. prioritize <laughs> What your mom was doing, what I recognize in what your mom was doing was she was prioritizing experiences for y'all because she knew, she had foresight, essentially. And she was just like, these experiences will serve you later on in adulthood. You need to be around these Asian kids. You need to understand this culture just as much as you need to understand your culture and you need to white be culture. able to... Right, you need to know how to conduct yourself in these spaces around these kids. She had to know that you were inevitably going to deal with some kind of, I don't know, maybe like racism or something ridiculous that was going to be a part of what happens when it's you being the only black kid in the space. Right. Um, and, you know, even though like we grew up in uh, South, South Jamaica, Queens, uh, again, mm -hmm. a community um i think she took that like her circumstances um mm -hmm. growing up here and she grew up in the same neighborhood you know my father's also from queens um mm -hmm. and, and we just know we've seen a change we, we know you know how segregated it can be um and you know she would always say like i don't i don't want you like out and about you know playing around and, and doing things like your summers are supposed to be for something but, you know, and, and I see that, like, even when I did have summers where I was home, I saw, by the time I was doing that, I saw the difference uh, between, like, how I was up, brought up, um, loving yeah. my beautiful Black self. Like, my, mom, my mom didn't buy us uh, white Barbie dolls. 
Um, we didn't have white white people in our books. Like to me, I when I went into the Your white world, was like kind of me though because like I'm relating to your mom so much especially when it comes to creating experiences for my kids that is very important to me to do that and I remember there was this a bit of drama in my family when a friend of the family purchased a white doll for my kids and then the kids had did something like they drew on the face or whatever and I called it like I took a picture of it and I called it crystal meth Barbie and they got like mad about it. But I was like, I'm, I wasn't trying to be shitty. I was just joking about how she looked like she had had a bad run with the meth or whatever, but this might be what happens. I might clown this doll when you bring it in here, when you know that it is so important for me to expose my kids to their melanated uh, Barbies, you know, cause growing up, in the time that we grew up um, with, are you familiar with the experiments with the Barbie dolls? Mm -hmm. You're, you know what I'm talking about, where black girls were presented with white Barbie dolls and there was a whole conversation around beauty and self-worth and everything. And it turns out the white Barbie dolls were kind of a problem. You know what I mean? And that goes, that ties directly into, it's, it's not, it's not as simple as saying white Barbies are the devil. That's not what we're saying. It is the predominant culture that allows the structure for that to be something that is internalized by young black girls. Shout out to P. Cola Breedlove. If you know Toni Morrison, you know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. Boom. I mean, my mom even got me like into American Girl dolls. Um, you, mm -hmm. know, you know, they I were expensive, but she knew that I yeah. had to be there. Like, you know, she was like, you know what? This is expensive, but we gonna put you there. So I remember- You had the Addie doll? I, girl, I had Addie. I had uh, Josefina. I had, what's the, what's the uh, Native American girl? That's the only three I could have. I can't um, remember her name, but I, I stand for uh, All American Girl everything. Yes, so I had with All you. American Girls. I was a fan. And I remember my mom um, signing me up to, they, they used to throw tea parties and they would come around and it was mostly white girls, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember being the only young black girl in the room. I mm. remember it so specifically. And my mom made sure that I came in with my matching uh, Addie clothes. My hair looked like her. My mom literally all night, she sat there and she like braided my hair so it looked like Addie. And I went there oh black and old and beautiful. And and yeah, and it's, <laughs> it, it's like one of the, like, my most... Um, uh uh yeah vivid memories because i remember all the girls coming up like oh my gosh you look so cool can i take Girl. pictures with you oh my goodness and my mom was sitting there like mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. i did that my baby's in cosplay you were like yeah. literally in the listen i'm standing for your mom right now oh my god yes oh, mama, so go go <laughs> wow <laughs> Okay, my heart is so full. I'm like, okay, we're done now. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so shout out to Plant Mom's Plant Mom. Um, yep. Can we say her name? Patrice, Patrice McCullough. Yes, ma'am, Patrice McCullough. I stand for you currently and forever. So thank you. Because if it were not for her and her like literal physical labor, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't even know how to travel. But. You should not be the plant revolutionary. Yeah, if it wasn't for your mom instilling this, what I like to call a highly concentrated love of blackness in you, then you, you would not be at a point even right now where you're saying that you're a plant revolutionary. So yes, shout out to that. And listen, so you, you mentioned that your, if it were not for her, you would not know how to travel. Obviously you figured it out because it, so we glad about that because you made your way to Amsterdam. Help us to make the connection between, you mentioned you were doing some retail merchandising and things of that nature to you were putting plants in your, your uh, what is it? When you put the, when you're merchandising, when you're styling it, when you're styling, you're adding plants to that. When did you first get into plants? Let's start with that. Um, in 2013, 
when I got my first apartment in uh, New York, um, of course it was a uh, it was me and two of my my very good friends. Um, we we got a tiny apartment in Harlem. Um, now now it's white Harlem, but it's, it was Harlem at one point. Um, popping. It's popping, you know, I was up there. It was actually like, it wasn't Washington Heights. It was like, it's called Hamilton Heights. So it's not really, it's a, it's a little bit more West than Harlem. Um, uh-huh. Nevertheless, I had two nice windows. Um, if you know anything about like architecture, when you go uptown in New York, the windows get big, the light gets full. So mm. I like, ooh, I should get like a plant or something. So I was walking past um, Home Depot um, hardware store. And they had some, you know, it was summertime. So I was like, ooh, they had plants like three for $5 or something. And I bought them. And on my lunch break when I was working at a thrift store. Um, and yeah, and after that, every lunch break that I had, I would go back to the store and I just kept buying plants. And I just kept, oh. I was just like, oh my gosh, I love this. So my roommates, I used to come home with like two bags of plants. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm obsessed. Like it literally just, yeah. just like that. Done. It just kind of like took over your life in literally one lunch break. One lunch break. And then I would, I would literally to a point I was, I would get my dollar pizza. Um, Cause I was, I was solo broke. I was, I was. Come uh, on was now. 17, 18, not even 18 maybe. Um, So I would get my dollar pizza and I would be shopping for plants and eating my dollar pizza um listen anybody <laughs> so that, who has ever struggled no we don't pause for that cause anybody who has ever struggled because i lived in new york for about a year and i have absolutely survived off of dollar slices and um the 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 thing of fries it was this this mediterranean spot where they would oh, make yeah. waffles yeah, yeah, and it was yeah. like a big old cup of fries for three dollars. Like mm-hmm. that dollar pizza, man, it'll put you, it'll put you in. You're like that dollar slice is is a staple. So yeah, yeah and that's I still off a week with like ten whole dollars. Like yeah, in New York. <laughs> a ten dollar per week food budget, and obviously you're gonna have a few dollar slices. Like period. <laughs> that's that's yeah. it. That's it. Boom. Okay. So we just had to pause on that because I'm like, listen, I feel you. So hold up though. But hold on. How are you so broke that you got to buy dollar slices, but you can buy plants? Like make that make sense. Make it make sense because I knew that if I could buy the plants, that means I could like uh, cheat on my food. So I even started making my own lunch so I could buy a little bit more plants. Um, What? Yeah, no, I was real serious. I was commitment. Like, oh, commitment. I was like, I will not eat this, you know, because at one point, I'm not gonna lie, you know, I used to eat out food all the time, and then yeah. I started buying something that I really enjoy. So I was like, well, this is like three for five, so I could do that. I could do that if I if I just make some food and, and you know, like I was That's just good. always like trying to figure out how to to balance my budget. Uh, making sure I pay my bills on time, of course, but also, um, yeah, making sure my place was, was super green. I killed, like, most of those plants, though, to be honest. Um, that was my I- next question. <laughs> so they are currently resting in your your eternal plant graveyard. Absolutely. Um, it's cool. We're going to see them at the crossroads. It is all good. That's That's what happens to, you know, when we move on to the next realm. Our plants mm-hmm. are all waiting for us. Y'all... I'm not encouraging nobody to kill plants, but I'm just saying, like, we gonna see them again. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> That's oh my god. So, okay. So you started off with your lunch break plant addiction. You mm-hmm. put in the, and then so how did that lead into you adding the plants into your installations? We'll call them installations. That sounds fancy, right? Yeah. So after that, I mean, to be, uh, I, I can go back into being a florist. So I wanted that to be a florist. Too. That was my focus. Um, I liked plants and it is relative, of course, when you are in like a flower shop or anything, you hope, you'll see a couple of plants regardless. Um, so I already made a decision that I, one, didn't even really want to go to school anymore, but I was already doing it. So I may as well just finish. Um, and two, hmm. I wanted to do something that wasn't really in fashion. I didn't really, I got into school and I thought I loved fashion because I like to get dressed, but I actually didn't like it at all. Um, (laughs) 
so like through theory and practice of course I met awesome people and I had uh, really nice opportunities to be creative but at the same time I wasn't passionate about it so I started um uh uh freelancing not freelancing sorry interning at a flower shop um Uh and from there I was like okay this is what I want to do um so I was actually a florist way before I started turning the plant stuff into like practice um I was a florist for about what almost four or five years wow Um, so you started out in a shop just you said you were an intern a What's the difference between intern and apprentice? I swept the floors. <laughs> I swept the floors oh, and I just okay. about things. Um, apprenticeship, yeah, internship. It 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 got it kind of goes hand in hand with the with the nature of the work. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I was an apprentice, and I really like I really like the um, the vibe, and I like being around flowers. I like the creativity. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, and then from there, after I graduated school, um, I actually went into uh, working as a full-time florist. A full-time florist. And so how did you, now I know you learn basically by being trained, but I know that you're also an avid reader and you're very much interested in acquiring as much knowledge as possible. So I'm assuming you were, you were learning it by seeing it, but you were also reading up on it. Absolutely. Um, like the plant not or like flower knowledge I, I can't really call them plants because they're hacked but um you know flower knowledge um there are so many different types of flowers there's so many different people who are really good at doing it um so yeah so i was just like reading about people reading about their 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 businesses you know a lot of uh, people uh, have like very 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 um big fortunes from from this specific industry so learning everyone's Um, like style seeing the way that that style um kind of peaked and changed and went from like oh i'm so sorry um went from from, um you know uh oh my god okay wait sorry we're gonna we're gonna close that i apologize um yeah you know traditional like bunchy white flowers all together or to things Mm -hmm. that are a little bit more wispy and and full of nature and all of this stuff so so yeah so i i definitely did my homework but the thing about being a florist is that you don't have to go to school for it um what you do though is you learn everyone's style so uh when you're learning someone's style you know it's always a learning opportunity how do you do this what is your technique um so it's always constantly learning from the person who you're working for Mm -hmm. so so yeah so um so yeah so that's my flower journey um i was a florist i did like loads of installations and that was really beautiful but 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 by the time like i think i got into um collecting plants like crazy crazy um is when I moved to Brooklyn um Mm -hmm. when I left Harlem and that's when I was just like you know flowers are really wasteful (laughs) Um, essentially like you know you are growing things cutting them and then you what you're learning is really how to keep the flowers alive for the longest period of time which is like the longest period of time is like 10 days so imagine like buying something and it's only like alive for a few days, you know, that, yeah. can't, that can't be right. Um, so I, that's okay. I do want to ask you a quick question while we're talking about preserving flowers. Cause I've heard of this brand and I'm not going to mention the brand cause you know, reasons, but there's a brand where they say that they have these roses that you can keep them alive for like six months or something. Yeah. 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 You can keep so them that's, alive for some time. What was that? You can keep them alive for some time. It's just, but it's all Oh, oh interesting. So what is the science? What, what science do we give credit to for making that possible? Uh, nature. Nature is really good at what she does. Um, nature is a bad bitch. She's a bad bitch. Like, I mean, look at roses. <laughs> you see roses in your store, right? Or in a store anywhere. If you go to buy roses those roses are probably like a month old <laughs> wow they sit in freezers because once you once you um True that. Some, the, the, the coldness really preserves that flower um flowers yeah. come most of the time because of uh that freeze they need that like nice freeze to cr- create something beautiful um yeah 
so yeah, so they just sit in coolers without water, and uh, what happens is that they, the, uh, the, the stem of the plant, it calluses over, so it preserves wow. as much water as possible um, uh, in these conditions. So it's able to, as long as you're not cutting it and opening it back up so that it can absorb water, um, it'll just preserve itself. That, thank you for the site. Listen, that is so interesting to know. Um, if anybody who's been listening to the show for a while can probably will probably be aware of the fact that I drove trucks for a minute and I drove refrigerated trucks and I specifically remember around like Valentine's and Mother's Day, uh, we had an account with this company in Florida where we would transport uh, flowers and refrigerated trucks where the temperature would be, I think it would be around 40 degrees and we would transport them to California. And it was something where it was just like, it was a job for me. But at the same time, I'm like, flowers are, that's when I found out that flowers were refrigerated. And of course I didn't get into the science then. I wasn't into plants at the time, whenever Mm -hmm. that was what I was doing. But thank you for bringing that science to the forefront because it's, I'm just saying, I can attest to the fact that these plants really do be out here getting, not plants, but flowers be Mm -hmm. out here getting the refrigerated treatment and for real, for real, getting preserved. Oh yes, I, uh, you always have a fridge in a flower shop. Uh, Most of the time you are buying from a fridge, um, cleaning out that fridge. It's like the most important thing that you can have. Um, And yeah, because keeping things warm, it's like, you know, our flowers outside in the summer, they'll have their moment and then they'll fall off and die. But if it's in that nice chill temperature, they take longer time to open and develop and you can just sustain its life. So that's kind of like a pro tip for those of us who are trying to figure out how to preserve flowers if we find ourselves in a position where we need to do that. You need some chill. You need, you need to be cold. So you can, you know, flowers sitting on your, your kitchen table, they're going to die. Especially in the summer. They're going to die. Okay, listen. Okay, well, you need to draft up a cute little ebook for that. You know, I support all of all of the endeavors. Oh my God. And speaking of an ebook and endeavors and things, we gotta get into you starting a whole ass plant shop. Oh my god. Okay. So yeah. you as a florist, and then let's hop over to Amsterdam. How did you end up in Amsterdam? So it's an actually like a, another crazy story, one of my many stories. I have Those are the my, best. Yeah. Um, so I was in Brooklyn and, um, my roommate had moved out and I needed to find a new roommate. So I went to Facebook, of course. Um, this was in 2016 to 2017, I don't know, a couple years ago. Um, and I, I met this girl. Um, and of course, like I was looking for somebody black, like I want to live with black people just because, um, and she popped up. up. Um, she sent me a message and she lives, lived in Amsterdam. She was a black girl mm. who, lived, who lived in Amsterdam. So I was like, oh, that's cool. Um, so yeah, so we got to talking and stuff. And I met her two weeks before she moved to New York. And I was like, yeah, just come by. Like, um, let's just do this. Let's, uh, let's figure out the details later. Just come in. Because I, I had the lease, so I, I can make decisions like that. Um, come on in. And we became instant friends. This black Dutch it, it kind of blew my mind. I was like, there's black people out there? But no. <laughs> so yeah, so we became like instant friends. And uh-huh. that, was, that was a few years ago now, um, almost three years ago. And she came back to New York. So she lived with me for eight months. Like she did a, um, an internship here. Oh, sorry, there. Um, and yeah, and then she wound up coming back. She loved New York. And every time she came back, you know, I was there, um, hanging out and we, we stayed in contact on Facebook and Instagram, even text messages and stuff. Cause yeah, that was my girl. Um, and then it got to a point where I really wanted to leave New York. I, um, had just lost my first and most important plant job, which we can talk about later. Hmm. Um, and I felt like, I was just stuck. Like I was just being in New York and I was working to survive, working to survive for year after year after year. My life wasn't changing. Um, mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? Let me just do it. Let me do something. A friend of mine, um, she had moved away. 
she was like, I'm done with New York. I think life is bigger than New York. And I was just like, what? How, how can you say that? Um, That's a hard one for some of us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, how can you say that? But then after like thinking after some time, I was like, you know what? How can I say that this is the best place for me to be if this is the only place that I've ever been? Um, Expand. <laughs> you know you gotta expand you have to see the world um and i love to see the world i love to travel um i still like i went on solo trips um i love to travel i just like to be a part of somebody else's culture um mm -hmm. so i one night uh, i i smoked i smoked a joint and i wrote down i wrote down um several places where i saw myself living um i love that and was that a visual visualization exercise? Yeah, a visualization exercise. And I went into research, you know, reading my books, you know, doing my homework. Like, what do I have to make to, to live there? What are the job opportunities like there? How much is housing? What do I need? Do I need a car? Do I need this? What can I do? And of course, I have my dog. So I'm like, can I bring my dog? Um, yes. So I was putting down California, Oregon, because I wanted to do plants. Um, and just be around things that are a little bit more green, you know, Seattle, uh, Denver, all of these places. And then I mm. thought about Amsterdam. And I was like, wait, don't I know somebody out there? Mm. <laughs> um, and then the more that I actually did my, my research with Amsterdam or just the Netherlands in general, I was like, oh, this is where I have to go. And we can talk about that later. <laughs> okay. Okay, so wow, that no, I love I love everything about that because there's a process that was involved, and oh, yeah. it's just that much more dope that in this process you were visualizing and you were doing research and you were very active slash proactive. Mm -hmm. uh, you recognize that you had an in because you're like, yo, I know somebody in Amsterdam. It's kind of lit out there. I think I'm gonna do it. Um, anybody who has ever Ooh, anybody who's ever traveled or make made a decision to say like just kind of out of the blue I'm about to like leave the country you know made some kind of leap like that that is generally reserved for those who are labeled as adventurous you get what I'm saying like that yeah, is yeah. something where it, it really does require some gumption so yeah. that yeah so it's to be a and a black woman to, to decide that you're gonna go to this location that is predominantly white if i'm not mis mistaken yeah. so like was that something that you took into i mean it's like i don't really take yeah, that right unless unless mm -hmm. you're traveling of course being black we have to make sure that we're traveling to a place that's safe but i that's really it some insights to kind of the culture through her like all of her friends are black and you know I was like oh okay so you know we out there we out there um and I and mm. you know because she was in New York some of her friends who I actually know now which is funny um came to New York and I met them and I was like wow this is so cool like you know like just to see us speaking a different language or you know like I was just so engulfed with my idea of blackness that I needed to like you know meet this other person who spoke differently but it was also black and like black as fuck but we have like the same kind of like culture and vibe and I was like this is dope let me just do this um and then the more that I did my research and my homework um kind of goes into what we were talking about in the pre-interview about like how green this place is and I was like whoa mm -hmm. This is like co super coincidental that I met this person two years ago, and now I am so convinced I need to be in in the say in in this country. Hmm. And you made the leap. Mm hmm. I literally just oh. bought a ticket. And didn't even think about it. I was like, I, if I don't just buy this ticket, I'm not gonna do it. I can't think about it any longer. Just do it. So you bought the ticket. What was the exodus like? Like, did you bring all your things with you? I know you bought your dog. I brought my dog and I brought three suitcases. I got rid of everything. So you didn't even move. Well, it would be ridiculous to try to move plants internationally. So I'm not gonna. No. I had, I gave, them all away. I gave them all away to people. It didn't hurt. Like I felt like, you know, like I, as long as I actually uh, made sure that I was pairing people with the plants, I was like, let me see your light, show me pictures. You know, I'm not just gonna let my kids go off and die. Work. Yes, you did. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I was like, um, hello, send me pictures. Where's it going? What kind of that, plant is that looking like? You know. It's not even crazy. The fact that you were vetting people who you were donating plants to <laughs> is just like next level, but also very relatable for many listening, undoubtedly. Mm -hmm. So all right, so you 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 made sure your plants had good homes to go to. Um and you made the trip to Amsterdam and what what was the first order of business when you got there G getting here the first order mm -hmm. of business is amazing like when you're when you're making like a life-changing decision you want everything to go right nothing sure. went right even from the day that even before I got on the plane nothing went right um, Ooh. so I don't think we talked about this so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm let you know on this um so I bought the ticket, you know, came time to get on the plane. Um, and um, I boarded the plane. Everything was fine. You know, I, I cried. I kissed my mama. You know, I had, I had my moment. The plane goes up. Um, and about 35 minutes in, the pilot gets on the speaker and he says, uh, we're having some issues with the plane. We have to go back because it's no longer safe to fly. Excuse me? Oh, <laughs> Yo, what? Let's land so, it right now, then. I just, I just gave up everything. You know, I, I'm moving here with my dog. I, I, I'm taking a leap of faith, and the plane isn't working. What do you mean? Yeah. So we have to go back to New York. We were in Ontario. What? Yes, girl. We were flying over Canada, and we had. To, I've never. I don't know if you've ever felt a plane turn, but it's different. I, I felt the plane whip back around and go right back to JFK. Um, and we sat on that tarmac for about three hours because they were trying to fix the plane and go back up. Um, didn't work. We had to get, everybody had to get off, uh, take our baggage with us, go back home. There were people who were obviously not from New York. They had to be sitting in, in hotels. I was grateful. I went back home. So all, after all that emotional drama, I, yeah. I went back, right back home several hours later. Um, like, Hey ma, like, <laughs> That so at that moment you know my family is like maybe you shouldn't go maybe this is a sign and i also thought that too i was like hold up if i had the opportunity to go back and say maybe i should try something else this is it this is me like i could have said i'm not getting on that plane i'm gonna stay here this is a sign but my mama my good old mama yes she said absolutely not she said, sometimes, you know, you got to go through the, the valley to get to the mountaintop. So this is your valley, girl. Like, you know, it ain't going to be easy, but you got to get back on that plane. So I said, all right, cool. Yes. So, <laughs> you listen to her. That is right. I love that because it was just really like, throw the whole plane out. We will figure something else out. And y'all go home plane. They're going to fix the problem. So, so yeah, so we get back the next day and uh, the plane still wasn't working. They had us sitting in that airport for, so it took me all, all in all 30 hours to get on the plane to Amsterdam. Wow. Okay. It was a delay of 30 hours. The plane was broken. They couldn't fix it. Um, so like, as I was in the airport, you know, I'm seeing like the, the, the flight is at two, then the flight is at six, then the flight is at eight. And I'm like, okay. Should I go back home? I can't have my, my, my mom, you know, my mom went to work at this point, you know, she's trying to like, <laughs> it's a Tuesday. Yes. Um, so yeah, so, um, so, so yes, I was sitting in that airport with my dog. I was happy that I wasn't like checked in yet because we couldn't even check in. Like it was so huh. we couldn't even get past the gates. Um, Damn. And really we got off and uh, yeah, <laughs> 30 hours later. And so you made it to Amsterdam. You made it to Amsterdam. You and what's the dog name? We got just Walter. His name is Walter. Walter. You and Walter got to Amsterdam and wow. Uh, so your first order of business obviously was to get there. And so yes. once you got there, you got secured with, you know, housing, I imagine. And let's get into like what you were able to do plant-wise when you got to Amsterdam, because obviously you became the plant mom of Amsterdam. <laughs> um, Walk us so, to that part. So yeah, so uh, what, I, what I did mention is that I actually came here to study. Um, I wanted to, so going back to New York, um, while I was still in my plant thing there, I, I recognized the racial disparity. Um, mm -hmm. 
I saw, I wanted to do things with food justice and like, you know, just work on like growing food and like providing for, for not only my community, but for like for, for me. Um, yeah. So I, I volunteered with this uh, startup company, which I won't mention. Um, and I was the only black person there. And I was like, hold up. How are y'all in Brooklyn across the street from projects and there ain't no black what? people working on on this farm like on this urban farm and i was just like this Whoa. ain't right like this ain't this ain't cool um i think there was one black guy there from the bronx he was uh no he wasn't black i'm sorry he was um he, he is black but he uh he uh is a latino mm-hmm. um, and he was there for the people he was like yeah i live in a food desert like i want to do this for us um but there wasn't enough um so yeah. I said you know what I need to create my own I need to do something for us and I wanted to go back to school and and kind of learn the basics so that I had you know like a knowledge to stand on like I didn't trust my own knowledge I was like no 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 I need something bigger and better um so that's why I got here so my first round of business was actually being a student um when I got here uh and the the school that I wanted to go to I uh, was going to major in agricultural sciences um and understanding like the distribution line of like a uh, farm to table essentially like farm like i say farm in quotation marks because it's a greenhouse and um grown in mass uh grown in mass so the netherlands is one of the uh, one of europe's top producers of uh, agricultural and horticultural products so that's See, why and that is wait you said in the world uh in europe in the world, they do have presence, but in Europe specifically, yes. Wow. Okay. The Netherlands is the top producer of agricultural goods, right? Mm-hmm. And that's between houseplants and their the the food that they are like farming for grocery yeah. stores. Houseplants, uh, flowers, cut flowers. Um, that's how I knew about the Dutch because I worked as a florist. I was like, you know, we always got Dutch flowers. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, and loads of like um, uh, food, fruits, fruits definitely, um, and, and, and modernized in a sense that they have the technology in these greenhouses to grow them efficiently, sustainably. Um, you know, all of the things is, yeah, like even uh, farming with uh, animals, agriculture with animals, um, you know, everything was like just a part of their culture as well as a part of their economy. Um, so there is so much to learn and so much to, to practice and, and actively do, um, here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So now with all of this, with the, the dominance of that particular region in agriculture, are, is there representation of black people in, in that area? No. Not even when, as like, when you say no, you mean what, like less than five percent? Oh, yes. I mean, absolutely. Even like the migrant workers that work in some of the greenhouses, they come from. Um, I mean, there's immigrants everywhere, of course, um, but most of the migrant workers. I remember like seeing a a specific program for Polish people to work in greenhouses, and I was like, Polish people. Because I was really? looking for ways to like, you know, to, to work and to interview and to, to intern or to be an apprentice and stuff. And I was just like, how do you get in this? Like, how is you this? you Polish, like- girl. You wasn't Polish. Yeah, exactly. I wasn't Polish. I wasn't a Dutch, you know, like I didn't speak the language. So they were more this hesitant. intentional. Places. And I was just like, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. So of course, when I get here and I'm out in these places, I'm like, yo. I've literally, I have literally been like the only black person in a convention center. I just, by now, Monet, if I had like a dollar for every time you didn't say that you was the only black person somewhere, maybe we'll just make this into a drinking game for this episode. Cause girl, (laughs) it's crazy. I have been out here, the only black person in a lot of spaces. And I just have to, I want to pause on that actually because I'm just wondering. Um, hmm, do you feel like overall that's made you stronger by now at this point in your life? Is having so many experiences like that? Definitely, um, it's an uncomfortable experience, of course. Um, but 
it, it helps you realize if you are open to realizing that there is a lot of change that needs to happen, even if you don't know what it is, you know that if you look at something or you are surrounded by something and you don't see yourself, you don't see anybody who looks like you. So even when like, um, say I'm, I'm, I'm one of the very few black people in that sp in spaces there, when I'm when my mom put me in Korean camp, um, there was a black counselor and mm -hmm. that one black counselor was like, you, you know, the knob where you just like, Oh my gosh, a black person, you know, mm -hmm. I didn't want to have that experience my entire life. I was sick of it. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, it's a, it, it's frustrating, but for me, I took that frustration and I said, what am I going to do about this? Ooh, I feel like part of the, the plant revolutionary, is that part of how that came to be with mm -hmm. you being that? Indeed, indeed. Um, yeah, it was just, yeah, you know, I know, like, for me, I mean, yeah, like, Black people like plants, Black people like flowers, we like all this stuff, so where are we at? Like, and why, yeah. why are we not here? It was just, you know, it's, because for you to say what you're saying, um, it just reminds me of whenever I started this show, and obviously, that is the, the, that's who I need for a guest. So I've definitely been asking that question <laughs> at least since last year. Like, where are we at? Where are the professionals? And, you know, if you are listening to this and you think that you would be a good fit for the show, by all means, send me an email. Like, listen, I'll be looking for y'all, okay? All right. Call your grandma, auntie, cousin, them. Yeah. But we talking to Monet right now, so... We're going to make sure we stay on track with that. Um, yeah. Let me get to, well, okay, plant revolutionary. Let me stay on track. So you're the, you become the plant mom of Amsterdam. You're doing these workshops. Like, how did you get to, to that part? Like, that is one of the, the key things that really let me know that you were about your business, you know, plantrepreneurship, as we like to call it here. Uh, how did you end up with that? Because you're doing like, were you doing consultations or were you just mainly doing workshops? No. So how I even got into it, again, I came here to do agricultural studies and stuff. Right. Um, um, 34 days after I moved to Amsterdam, my father passed away. Um, so I wasn't having to go back to New York anyway. <laughs> you oh. know, I was back to New York twice in two months. Um and from then, like, again, my mom came in again, go mom. Um, at that point, because of everything that had happened, I had dropped out of school. I had a, a hard time uh, 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 getting there. You know, I, I, I didn't, I couldn't, I didn't have a job because I was going to go to school um, at this point. And then, and then on top of that, my father died. So now I have to go back mm -hmm. to New York. I should, you know, at that point is, was when I was like, maybe, I, okay, maybe I should take the hint that life is trying to give me. Um, and my mom was just like, nah, you should go back. Go back. She was like, yeah, go back. You know, your life is not going to change. If you come back to New York, you know, your father will still be dead. You will still have no job. You will still have no opportunities because, well, not no opportunities. I can make opportunities, but you know, you gave everything up. So you may as well just like shoot your shot. Um, yeah. so yeah, I took, I went right back, um, after, um, I only stayed back in New York after he passed away for like, uh, maybe five, six days. Um, okay. so I went right back and, um, that's, I was obviously like crazy depressed. Um, I didn't really have a lot going on. Um, so then I started taking that little tuition money I saved up and I started, uh, buying hella plants. Um, cause at that point I was like, I had a room, I had a bedroom and stuff and I had so much light and I had plants. Of course, I love plants. Um, but then I started buying them like, like crazy again. Um, mm. and I, and I, and with, with using that, um, I saw, I sought healing through it. Um, and then mm. I had an idea, like one day I woke up and I was like, I'm going to do something about that. I want to, I want to like share this. I want to, I, again, I don't know what I was doing. Um, mm. I wanted to share it. I wanted to do something cool or I don't know, maybe, maybe why not have my own plant business? Why not like go into these stores and do it? I didn't know how, I didn't know where. So I actually started interning um, at a place here where I give workshops called Mediamatic. Um, 
And yeah, that was actually the first place I gave workshops. I went to the owner of Mediamatic and I said, hey, you know, um, I had a lot, a lot of things happen to me over the past couple months and I want to stay here and I want to be an entrepreneur. I found a visa that uh, allowed me to be an entrepreneur, um, mm-hmm. specifically for Americans. So all y'all Americans who, who think about exit in the country, the Netherlands has mm-hmm. a special visa specifically for freelancers and entrepreneurs uh, for American citizens. Anyway. Um, Thank you so- for that tip. Yeah, it's called the Dutch American Friendship Treaty. Um, and you can come here and be a, uh, an entrepreneur. Um, which I didn't know about until like I got here and I was like, oh shit, like, okay. Um, so yeah, yeah, so I had asked him, I was like, hey, can you like mentor me or can you help me with the visa process? And like, um, you know, I have an idea that I want to, that I want to do. Um, and he, in, in this specific uh, place, they do a lot of programming. They do a lot of events and all of this stuff. And he gave me the opportunity to do my first workshop. You know, we wanted to start, they wanted to start something around plants and he kind of liked my vibe and the way that I like love plants and I wanted to like do something with it. And I remember sitting at the meeting table, he was like, you're going to do plant workshops. I'm like, okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Just like that. Just like that. And from there I was like, oh, okay, because he knew I wanted to start a business and he thought my business was good, but he came over to me one day. He was like, okay, but yeah, nobody knows you. Mm. You can be as great as you want to be, but how do you, how do you get people to know you? How do you get people, you, you know, you, you can't have a business without people. Um, yeah, it's like the concept of what, know, like, and trust. I think that's a part of some of the things I've seen in some of these courses. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so mm-hmm. yeah, so that's when the, the whole workshop thing started and it was like almost an instant success. Um, we, we programmed it for, for months and months. Um, and that's where, yeah, everything just started looking up. I started making money. Um, you know, I, I, I started meeting people in these workshops and um, I wound up getting a membership at a membership house here. And then I, you know, out of just pure uh, perfect timing, I did a I did a workshop with them at this membership club. You know, I met someone from a big company. That big company put me onto this person. That put me onto this. So everything literally started when when someone gave unfortunately not unfortunately when somebody gave me like the opportunity to be great. Wow. And, um, wow. Yeah. So that's, I, I, I swear to you, I wasn't even going to do a workshop. I didn't even think about it. It was not my idea. I tell people all the time, somebody told me to do it and I did it and it worked out. Um. <laughs> I love how you worded that. <laughs> yeah. That's dope. Wow. Okay. And, yeah. I mean, it's pertinent to exactly what's going on now. Like, you know, with everything is racism and, and, you know, we know, um, but mm-hmm. you know, being able to like, amplify someone's voice is is cool but when you are literally going to give someone an opportunity you see something in someone you say i'm going to empower you by telling you to do something that i think is going to be great um and it wind up being great and great for me i'm always grateful for it see that is really i'm so glad that we 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 got to take this turn in the conversation because that was something that i shared uh, on the Black in the Garden page on Instagram, a quote from Toni Morrison, which I will read right now. Just remember that your real job is that if you are free, you need to free somebody else. If you have some power, then your job is to empower somebody else. And that's, there's levels to that. There's just a lot of different ways that you can maybe kind of take that. But really it's it's about you know opening doors for people you see someone is qualified and and they just need amplification or they need an opportunity and you it, there's discretion that's involved I'm, it, the tony morrison was not saying to go and uh try to turn a baker into a crocodile wrangler or whatever you know what i'm saying i don't know i'm random but provide an opportunity for somebody that is based on something that makes sense for them. Yeah. So just want to reiterate that. Um, so I have to take a moment here just to marvel at the way that technology be trying to hate on some of the things that I do. We, we recorded, you know, we recorded a whole interview that went maybe about 
five or ten minutes longer than what technology left me with. All right. So I had to make the most of that. We do have part two coming up next week. But this is where part one concludes. So we appreciate you for tuning in. I love the way that story that Monet tells is very much not a linear story. You know, to me, the best ones are when there's a bit of opposition. There's a bit of up and down. You know, you got to figure some things out. You got to persevere. But sometimes things come up where, listen, we just feel tested. All right. And the way that we behave and the way that we stick to our integrity and things like that in those times is very important. All right. So part two will be coming up. Like I said, at the top, we will have our Soil Sisters joining us, Mariah Green and Bree Saint, who you may know as uh, Ear Garden and Greenpeace. And they are some super dope entrepreneurs, just as much as Monet is and so many of us doing entrepreneurial things. So part two is going to be very much lit. It's actually going to be explicit because <laughs> we grown women who use big words and some of them be cussing. Hey, it's all good. I cannot wait for y'all to come back for that. And like I said, I just need to continue to kind of, you know, rest up my voice a little bit and do all the things that are going on in the background. My apologies for the delay of one day. Listen, I'm doing my best. Season two started out with a whole ass pandemic, like a whole pandemic. So we know a lot of things did not make it past the pandemic. We are very fortunate for that reason to have still this podcast going on. I came back. I'm I'm glad that I got to, and I'm going to keep going. Season three will be coming up here in, we'll talk about that next week, but I appreciate you all for listening. Thank you so much for your ears. Y'all keep your, your, your hands in the soil, keep your feet in the soil. Just, you know, stay close to the earth and love, light and soil y'all. Peace.